Chris, come on up. This is Chris Carter. Most of you guys know him. If you don't, you'll get to know him just in a little bit. And uh, I can leave that up there, or we can point to it. Or uh, I, I really want the people to have access to your stuff, though. So, cool. <laughs> well, uh, Larry is my new astronomy buddy. <laughs> we bonded over astronomy today. Um, I want to tell you just a quick astronomy story. When I was 12 years old, living in, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so I do know what snow is, even though I live in Florida. I've driven in snow many times. That's how I've survived this last week in Colorado Springs. Thank you very much. So 12 years old, living outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, my neighbor across the street has this old beat-up telescope, you know, one of the kind of department store special refractors, about two inches in diameters. The lens has just been totally neglected. And uh, I should have known then I have a thing for seeing neglected telescopes. I can't let them stay that way. It hurts my heart. And so I said, let me just borrow it, see if I can get it in working order. I know nothing about telescopes. I've never used one before. I don't know anything about the night sky or where to look to find something to, to see. And so I, you know, my neighbor Chuck was his name. And uh, he was everything a Chuck should be. He was an athlete. He was on the football team. And he neglected his telescope. So uh, I cleaned it up and I probably killed whatever was good about the lenses because I'm probably using Windex to clean it. And I don't know. So I finally get it in good working order. I take it out first clear night. I just set it in the driveway of our house. And there's one, you know, bright star that I think, okay, I can just center it on that and just see if it works. And so I put the telescope on that star and I look in and with no adjustment at all, I see this white ball with this ring around it. It was Saturn. Now, when you're not meaning to do that, it feels like you just discovered Saturn, right? I mean, like that's the, I mean, you're 12. I mean, I was, I mean, put yourself in my shoes. It felt like I just discovered this planet, you know? But I mean, that hooked me then. But I also think it started a pattern in my life. And it's such a theme for my life that I, I told my wife, because we all know she's going to outlive me. I said, I said, if I die, I want you to put on my tombstone, I want you to write this phrase. He never really knew what he was doing. Because, A, it's very true. And, and I just want people to walk by and have a chuckle. I mean, that will make me happy if they walk by and go, huh, you know. So it's been a theme. I did not mean to point the telescope at Saturn. I also did not mean in any way, shape, or form to open the eyes of my heart to see the heavens. There was never a point in my life where I thought, Lord, could you do this for me? Didn't even know it was a thing. And so some friends of mine in Columbia, South Carolina, of course, we're fast forwarding many years later. Some friends of mine in, where I lived in, in South Carolina were doing kind of an inner healing type sozo-like ministry, right? So they're using the eyes of your heart to present Jesus in a maybe a traumatic memory or something like that. And where was Jesus in this picture? And I was seeing how much that was affecting the people that were going through it. And here I am in ministry. And I thought, well, I want to know how to do that. So the best way to learn it is to go through it. So I drove up to their house on this random Wednesday morning. And I believe this was in October, if I remember right. And I pull up. I'm sitting in my little Chevy Blazer before I get out. And I just go, Lord, I mean... I, I'm not coming to this because I feel like I've got this major traumatic experience. I just wanted to learn how to do this. So I said, you know what? You can always be more free. So whatever you want to work out today, 
I'm okay with, which are famous last words. Like, never, ever give God that kind of a blank page. So I walk into their house, and I'm like, all right, let's let the healing begin, you know? And so I sit down, uh, you know, they had this, you know, like recliner chair. I sit down there, and, uh, and, and my friends Jim and Rachel Riley, so Jim's just sitting there, and he just wants to open with a word of prayer, and he just goes, Lord, we, we just want to give you this time. The moment he said, Lord, I started seeing. I mean, it just, we hadn't done anything. And I mean, as soon as he starts talking, I see myself holding on to these prison bars, and Jesus is on the other side holding the key. Now, a charismatic Christian at this point in my life, I was raised Baptist, you know, so a lot's changed. But as a, as, as a charismatic Christian, I knew it was possible to see things. I mean, I, you know, you'd pray for people. I'd done ministry for years. You know, you're praying for people, get a little flash of a picture, it kind of gives you a, a word for them. But this was different. I mean, I'm holding on to these bars, and this is like a, 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 it's, it's a seeing something that didn't stop. Now, I'm going to really cut to the chase tonight. It was two hours. The next two hours of that experience was getting out of that prison. I'm going to tell you the first thing that happened in that process. And maybe I wrote this. It's been a while. So I don't know if this is in one of the books or not. It's probably in one of them. One of the first two, probably. One of the first things that I saw when I'm sitting, I mean, I felt like I was in this giant cavern, you know, in, in this prison. But I come to this body of water. And I look, and there's this figure standing next to me, like Jesus is over here. And this figure is hooded in this kind of purple mantle, and he's holding a gold set of scales. And at one point, I'm standing in a body of water in this cave. It's very dark. Jesus is on the other side, and I want to go to him. And of course, the couple that's leading me through this is like, yeah, that's a good idea. And as I start to go, this figure in this hooded cloak with the gold set of scales, grabs me and pushes me down into the water, trying to drown me. And I'm telling them, this is what I'm seeing, right? And they just said, why don't you ask the Lord to show you who is this? And so from like, you know, blah, 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 you know in the water, trying to breathe, this is what I'm seeing in the spirit. I get my face out and I look up and it's me under this hood, pushing myself like I'm judging myself with the set of scales as unworthy. And I'm pushing myself to drown myself in the water. Now, I'm really glad they had a ton of wisdom in this moment, you know? So they just said, I mean, I don't know what to do. And they said, maybe this is a good time for you just to tell the Lord that you repent for trying to do God's job. And I was like, yeah, it sounds good. Let's do that. And so I just said, all right, Lord, I, I repent. I'm trying to be you in my own life. I'm trying to be the judge, and that's not the role I'm supposed to be in. And I repented, and immediately I'm out of that water, and I'm walking towards him. And that figure of me with that scales reoccurred over the course of about two hours. As in each place, I'm dealing with my own issue of trying to judge myself, which I'm not cut out to do finally get to the end of these two hours. And remember in the beginning, it's me in the prison bars and Jesus is on the other side holding a key. Finally shows me after two hours, I mean, I, I soaked a shirt full of my own tears and snot after those two hours. As my friend says, I was boo-hooing and blowing snot. 
And finally, he shows me what this key is. It's this white key, and it just says love. And I walked out of those prison bars. And in that moment, Jesus walks me away from this prison that I was in, and I see this long, rectangular wooden table. And he puts me on one end, and he himself goes on the other end. And so he's on an end, and I'm on an end. And as soon as I'm standing there, and to me it feels like a communion, classic communion table. We've all seen the Renaissance picture. They're all sitting at the table. And I'm standing there, and immediately I can tell there's other people at this table. Now again, this couple that was with me doing the best job ever, why don't you ask the Lord, you know, who they are, you know? As soon as I do, ask this one, who are you? He says, David. Now, I'm kind of dense, just in general. Remember the tombstone? He never really knew what he was doing. So in this moment, I'm not even thinking this possible that this is the David, you know? So I'm thinking I'm in some kind of spiritual experience. I knew a David in college. I hope he hasn't died and this is him. And I'm saying this to this, you know, poor couple at this point, God bless them. And they go, why don't you just ask which David are you, you know? And this is probably how I learned to ask so many questions when I'm having spiritual experiences. And so I said, well, which David are you? And he goes, I'm David from the Bible. And as soon as he says that, I can see that's David, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus at the end of the table with this grin on his face that said, joke's on you, Chris Carter. You had no idea what you were in store for today. And then it was Isaiah, Ezekiel, Matthew, Paul, and John. And they all went around that table and told me something. David's somewhat predictable. Again, I studied physics in college. There's a part of me that is incredibly analytical. So when David says, just worship him, I was like, yeah, I could have planned that. I mean, you could totally have said that. I get that that's something you could have said. But when Moses looks up at me and says, never underestimate him. And then I was like, oh, you're a real man. Like, you're not just a Bible myth. Like, you are real, and you're telling me something that you know from your life experience. They all went around, had something to say. One that always cracks me up is John at the very end. He looks at me with a little wink and a nod. He says, all you need is love. And then whenever I tell that story, people are like, are you sure that was John the Apostle? And And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. After this, still boohooing and blowing snot as I'm sitting in their living room experiencing this first time in my life that I had a a concept or an experience of what John talks about in Revelation. I was on the Isle of Patmos, but I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. In other words, I can have my physical body here, but at the same time be there. And so we get up from the table Jesus walks me to this door. He brings out that white key that just had love on it. He puts it in the door and we open it up. We step out onto this gold translucent walkway. And above me is all the cosmos. Below me is this lake of fire. And as we're walking on this gold pathway, we start going up, which if you're paying attention is the the direction you wanted to go. And as we're hovering in the cosmos together, he opens up his hand and there's these jewels in his hand and he just throws them out and they create stars and galaxies and planets. And we come to this moment where we're in the cosmos together. And it's the first time in this whole experience that I really took the time to look into his face. 
and I could see his eyes, and I just got lost in his eyes. I, I, to me, it felt like I fell into them. And like you just liquefied, poured yourself into his gaze. And I felt like I was falling into him. And in every foot of descent, but in a good way, I felt more loved and more accepted. Until there was some point of being more loved and more accepted that I felt maybe for the first time, I'm sure, for the first time in my life, 100% loved and 100% accepted. And I still kept going. Whatever is after 100% of that. And wherever I landed, wherever I came to in that moment, I find myself standing up, and in front of me is this crystal clear pool of water. And on the other side are these white steps leading up to this white throne. And there's the presence of the Father on the throne. And so I do what anyone, I think, would do. I mean, you've gone this far, let's keep going. So I walk around that crystal clear pool. I start walking up the white steps. Same story, more love, more acceptance. More love, more acceptance. I get to the top, and there's all of these people like lounging against the throne, like they're in a place of total rest and just lounging against it, like not a care in the world. And I'm standing there. The father gets up off of his throne, motions with his arm, and this door opens up into this lush green garden. And he says, Christopher, you can come here and walk and talk with me as often as you like. And that was the end of a three-hour inaugural experience that I never knew was coming. Now, to me, this was, and continues to be after a decade, the greatest revolution of my entire life. I had been a Christian for a long time. I really did like God. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't doing it out of duty. I really thought, you're great. I'd like to be as close to you as possible. I think I'd gone through every modality I could possibly go to to get closer and to have some real connection with God. And then I'm in this experience where this is better than anything I have ever imagined because I am walking with Jesus. We're having a real-time conversation. I can see him, touch him, smell him. I can taste things. Everything is firing in this place. And then he has the audacity to tell me, as often as you want to do this, you can. Well, for me, I was like, every day. (laughs) I mean, I don't see any reason to not do this, you know? Someone asked me, and I want to be careful about the way I word this, but someone asked me one time, do you pray anymore? And I was like, no. (laughs) Now listen to what I'm saying. I think if, if you just, if you'll take me with a grain of salt here, I think you'll hear the message behind these words, okay? I bet I was being honest. I was genuinely being honest when the person said, and this was a few weeks ago, last week, whatever week it was before I came to Colorado. And they said, do you pray anymore? And I said, no. I mean, I just, I, I mean, what they meant was, do you kind of sit down, kneel down? Okay, Lord, you know, just need your help today. And I said, no, I don't do that anymore. And they were like, well, why did this take the place of that? And I said, it's for the same reason that when I'm around my wife, I don't put a blindfold on. I genuinely enjoy seeing her, you know? It's the same reason that when we go out on a date, I don't cover up my ears. <laughs> would be... There's a lot of jokes there, but I'm not going to say it. I don't cover up my, I don't cut off senses 
when I spend time with my wife that are, that are senses that God gave me. I intend to experience this person that I love more than any other person in the entire world. I intend to experience my time with her using every faculty that God gave me. So there's, in my mind, why would I not just be in the Spirit on the Lord's day and just, just call every day the Lord's day from this point on and use all of my faculties to see this God that I love more than anything else in the entire world. Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's no reason in that point in my mind to go back to whatever I was doing before. That would be like putting a blindfold on. Now, does that mean it's like super easy? Well, in my experience, first couple months, easiest thing I've ever done. Day two, I don't know what I'm doing. Hence the tombstone inscription. I have no idea. So I just went to my office where I was writing a book called Caught Up in the Spirit, and I'd never been caught up in the Spirit, so I don't even know why I was writing it. And I went to my office, and I was just like, well, I guess I'll just do what I did yesterday. So I sat on the floor. I don't know why that felt more holy to me. And I closed these eyes, and I opened these eyes, and I'm right back where I left off on day one, standing in front of the door into the garden. And the father looked different that day, something way more relatable instead of this, you know, wah moment, you know, using my voice there, Nancy, you know. You know, it was, it was I stepped into that garden and, and he just walks me through. The whole time he keeps calling me the second son. And I knew it wasn't spiritual. I'm like, why do you keep calling me the second son? He goes, because in your family, you're not the first one. And I'm like, no, I've just got the one sister. He's like, no, you're the second son in your family. Now, this is just day two. So what do I do after that time walking around the garden? I pick up the phone and call mom. I'm like, mom, there's something I don't know. Was there another kid? And my mom goes, yeah, I miscarried a baby. And I was like, it was a boy because I'm not your first son. Now, I mean, that's just, we didn't know that. She never told us. So day two, walking around the garden, we're doing all right, you know. Multiple days of just exploring the heavens. I thought, best thing ever. Just get to go walk around the garden, talk with the Lord. I did not feel like I had to solve major world issues. It just felt like time with someone I genuinely want to spend time with. I had a, I, there were so many cool things that happened early on when it was really easy. I think to continue to win me over. But I had this one moment, and this was just funny to me because it solidified in my mind what was happening was coming from there to here. So when this happened with me, we just had our son Samuel. So he's a few months old. My daughter's two and a half or a little older than that. Oftentimes you bring a new kid in the house. What's the other kid do? Throw a tantrum. It's like, wait, all the attention's going to this one now. So my very pleasant young daughter got really good at throwing tantrums. And we as young parents don't have a, never really knew what he was doing. So like, we don't know what we're doing. Trying everything to try to correct that. Nothing's working. So I'm in my office, sitting on the floor, close these eyes, open the eyes of my heart. And I, I'm walking in the garden with Jesus. I'm walking like a, what I would call a portico. Like, you know, there's wall, you know, ceiling, wall, floor, columns, and out there is the garden. And we're just walking in that beautiful portico, me and him, shooting the breeze. And it occurs to me in this moment, you're talking with Jesus in the heavens. Now's a good time to ask for stuff. 
So I look at him and I go, I'm thinking about my daughter. And I go, Lord, I just want to pray for Isabel right now. And he stops me and he goes, what are you doing? He goes, Why? don't say pray. Don't say I just pray. We're here. Just talk to me. And I looked at him and I go, well, I feel like a terrible dad. I was like, I don't know what's going on. This is what's happening at home. And I haven't even like said, would you please do anything? I'm just telling him the problem. And as I'm doing that, I watch this angel fly through those columns. They whisper to each other, Jesus and the angel. Angel goes flying out. And I go, Lord, what just happened? And he quotes to me that verse in Matthew about the little ones, how their angels always see the face of my father who's in heaven. Now, again, not an exaggeration story. This is exactly how this happened. I'm still in my office. Maybe an hour has passed, maybe two. My wife calls me. She'd been at the zoo with the kids and a friend. And she goes, Isabel is completely different. It's like she's just like she was before we brought Samuel home. She's like, I don't know what happened. I said, I might know. (laughs) I think I saw it. (laughs) And it was one of those moments where I realized what I'm doing is translating from there to here. Would I have been doing it anyway? Yeah, I would have. It was just too good. It was too good to go kill an hour every morning, walk around the garden with the Lord shooting the breeze. That, it was just too good. So I'd still be doing it today if nothing ever translated from there to here as a result of what we were doing. It's still to this day, I think, the, the, the best part. All the rest is just the icing on the cake. So there were a lot of those experiences. And then it got hard. Had probably, I don't know how many months, too many where it really bogged down. I had a hard time engaging in the Spirit. And during that period of time where it was hard is when I learned every single technique that I use today to make this easy for everybody else. Because over those months, the only thing I learned was, it's not hard, I'm making it hard. And I mean, I had lots of good ways of making it hard. Do you remember my initial experience where me trying to be God is trying to drown myself? It's kind of a nemesis for me in my life. I'm not saying that got over everything. But I remember one day uh, thinking about going to spend time with the Lord again. I kept an office at the time, so I was about to go leave and go to my office. Right before I leave, Melissa, my wife, and I have a marital discussion. It was epic. It was really bad. And, you know, oftentimes it's a mix of responsibility, but in this case, it was really my fault. And I knew it. I knew that this one was on me. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can totally surprise yourself with what a giant jackass you can be. And, uh, and this was one of those times. James, virgin ears. Cover your ears, James. (laughs) James is like, I don't know anything about that. That's never, I've never been that in my life. (laughs) But, you know, you you can surprise yourself. It's an animal. That's why I can say the word. It's a donkey. So I'm driving to the office amazed at how how just rude and, and, and spiteful I can be. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go to the, my office and, and I'm supposed to sit on the ground, close these eyes, open these eyes, and it's all going to be okay. And I'm like, it is not going to be okay. Like, this, this won't go well. And I get to my office. 
and I just peek open the eyes of my heart, and Jesus is standing there above me. Big grin on his face. He's in power stance. I mean, feet shoulder width apart. And he's like, hey, come on up here. And it's not a joke. I looked up like, you know, like that's helping. I looked up and I said, did you not see what just happened? And he goes, yeah, come on up. And I'm like, it's a trick. I'm going to go up and an angel is going to drop kick me right back down. I know that's what's going to happen. You know, this is a ploy. And so I was like, I'm not doing it. You know, I know better. And so I spent a solid 45 minutes pacing my office, I think trying to pay penance for what had happened, or at least coming up with a speech that leaves me slightly justified in his presence. (laughs) It's classic prodigal son behavior. So, I mean, 45 minutes in, there is no justification, none at all, for what I've done. And so I peek my eyes open again, and this time he's just looking at me like, will you just come up here and we will talk about it? And I was like, sure. So I sat on the floor, closed these eyes, opened these eyes. And I find myself sitting on these steps with Jesus. I feel like I'm eight years old. He feels like older brother, 20, 30, whatever. And he puts his hand in my lap. And I can, I've got his hand, like his big hand right here. And I'm rubbing it with my thumbs, feeling it. And I can feel the hole in his hand with my thumb. Now already, I'm starting to boohoo and blow some snot. And I look at him, and I just go, Lord, how does my foolishness not make you mad? How does it not cause some separation between the two of us? And he goes, well, Christopher, he said, I didn't get off the cross early. He said, I stayed on until it was finished. He said, I didn't cover 99% of the world's sin and leave 1% for you to pay penance for. I stayed until it was done. And, but I'm kind of dense. And so I'm still rubbing the hole in his hand. And I said, Lord, okay, I get that you love me. Thank you very much. Same question. How does my continued foolishness not make you mad? How does it not cause some separation between the two of us? He turns and he faces me on those steps and he locks my gaze. He said, Christopher, God did get mad at your foolishness. And he took all of that anger out on me so that he would never have to be mad at you again. Now, can I get that idea from reading the gospel? Sure, but to quote whoever it was that said this, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with a theory. And in that moment, a theory became an experience that there is no storehouse of frowns stored up for me on my bad days. You see what I'm saying? There's no condition of life that I can go approach the Father in the Spirit and, he, and, he, and he'll be like, we really expected more out of you. I mean, come on. We're kind of, we're up here shaking our heads. How can you be this dense? That never happens. Case in point, and I'm not saying that there's not a consequence for dumb decisions. Of course, I mean, if, you, listen, if you're going to do heroin, you're going to lose your job and your family. It's what happens. There's consequences for that. But give me a heroin addict 
and I will take them in the spirit and they will not find a frowning father. They'll find a father that's like, come up here. And of course, he'll be like, didn't you see what just happened? Yes, come up here. There simply isn't a storehouse of that. Now, why is that important for us tonight? A couple reasons. And then kind of, I'm going to watch myself here, make sure we have some time for stuff at the end. We'll do some exercises together. It's important for us tonight because experiencing the heavenly realms in the Spirit is the easiest thing that I think you will ever do in your walk with the Lord. The mechanism is easy. The discipline to do it is hard. That's the part that's hard. We live in a world that is very specifically designed to keep you looking down, not up. It's on purpose. So the moment that you decide that you're going to pursue eternal things or any kind of a experience in the spirit, you need to get ready to feel like a salmon swimming against the current when everything around you is clamoring for you to look down. The mechanism to be in heaven in the spirit is easy. The discipline to do it in the world that we live in is incredibly hard. And if you were to judge your efforts, however much of this any of anybody has done, I guarantee you, you have the feeling like, man, I know how to use the eyes of my heart to be in the heavens. Why am I not doing this every day? Why am I not pursuing this? And if you step into that place where you're going to judge yourself because you don't think that you put enough time in or you're wondering why, I'm telling you why. Because it's hard. But don't get down. That's like a, you know, judging yourself in this way is a depreciating asset, okay? That feeling does nothing for you. It won't make you do anything better. It's certainly not going to make you stop what you're doing. So just throw all of that out and start again right in that moment and go, what's stopping me right now from swimming against the current and pursuing eternal things? I'll tell you another just, you know, biblically proven point here. No one that has ever pursued eternal things, is it ever said of them, wow, they really fit in. It's never going to happen. Anyone that pursues eternal things, it's never like, aren't they just so normal? It's not. The decision to pursue eternal things is the decision to swim against the flow and against the current of the modern world and culture that you live in. It takes choices. And it takes discipline. And that is not a sexy word. That's not a good American word. You don't get a lot of, no one's going to read your book if you call it how to discipline yourself into the heavens. No one's going to read that. We don't like that idea. But there's no other way to do it. You have to become a disciple. There's got to be some discipline in pursuing eternal things. Can I just give you one more biblical thing before we do some exercises together? Is that okay? We got time for like five, ten minute quick little biblical moment here. The reason why I think that this is so important is because God has been building a case for our ability to be in the spirit and in the heavenly places for a long time. And it actually starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. You know the story? They get together to build a tower, right? And what's the purpose of the tower? To reach into the heavens. And of course, that's the thing where God goes, well, that's, we shouldn't let that happen. 
And so God comes down and he stops the building project. And what's the sign that he stops it? What's the, essentially the catalyst for them giving up the engineering project of Babel? What is it? Exactly. So if you didn't hear that, that was the languages were confused. So he makes it to where they can't understand each other. Now, I think there's a lot of good reasons why God would do that. Number one, you let all these people that are not doing real well have access into the heavens. What are they going to do? They're going to do it right? No, they're going to open a heavenly door, let in the same kind of spiritual beings that were flooding in before the flood, and that actually caused the flood. And that just was like a little bit ago. And so God's like, we're not doing the, the flood again. Okay, so we're, not, we're just not going to do it. The other thing is, these are very corruptible people. Did anybody see uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark? It's only the greatest movie ever made. It's that and the Karate Kid. And if you don't know that, you're wrong. Okay? And the Princess Bride, I'll give you that. Okay. I mean, they just don't make movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark anymore. So, you know the scene, the Nazis open the Ark of the Covenant and they melt like butter in a microwave. Well, that's what happens when corruptible things come into an incorruptible environment. So you've got all these Nazis building the Tower of Babel. I mean, they're not really Nazis, but why not? And so they're going to open up the door into the heavens and they're going to step in and it's going to... I mean, they're just going to go like butter in the microwave. So God's not in for that either. So he stops it, he confuses the language, but he keeps reminding mankind that this issue is important. So he takes Jacob, just a few centuries later, and he shows in the dream, Jacob sees the ladder going up into the heavens. You remember this, right? And the angels are going up and down. They're ascending and descending on the ladder. Now we think ladder, Lowe's, you know, aluminum frame ladder that Jacob would imagine climbing up. That's not his, there's no Lowe's, okay? In whatever ancient place he was in. His idea of a ladder that reaches the heavens is probably something like a step pyramid, which they would have built to be ladders that go into the heavens. It's probably exactly what the Tower of Babel looked like. So he's in his dream, and God's going, remember that? We're not done with that issue. So a few, you know, 100 years later, you've got Moses and, you know, let my people go, and they're out of Egypt, and they build the tabernacle. And what's over the, the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle by day and by night? You know, what is it? The who? The cloud, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. Now, you got to think like what they're seeing. Put yourself in their shoes. Got all these people surrounding the tabernacle, and there is this cosmic rope of cloud and fire that goes from above the tabernacle into the sky. To them, can we just agree it might have looked like a cosmic rope connecting earth to heaven? The same kind of thing that they're trying to do at Babel. Years and years later, Jesus comes on the scene. He meets one of his disciples, Nathaniel. He says, I tell you, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Fun little rabbinical tradition. They think he was reading about Jacob's dream, and Jesus saw him reading that under the tree. So when Jesus comes to call him, he references what he was just reading. He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's Jesus' moment where he's identifying himself as the tower that connects the heavens to the earth. A little few pages later, they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's transfigured before them, and they're in, encompassed in a cloud. Now, these are good Jewish boys up there with him. 
What are they thinking in that moment as they're in a cloud while the presence of God is being revealed? Well, they're probably thinking of the cloud that would appear over the tabernacle when the presence of God is being revealed. But now they're in it instead of outside of it. They're in the cosmic rope connecting the heavens to the earth. And that's why they see something heavenly in that moment. And then we get to the point where Jesus goes, hey, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so they're in the upper room. And when the day of Pentecost has fully come, the sound of a mighty rushing wind blows through the room. And something like tongues of fire appear above every one of the disciples. Now, these are good Jewish boys and girls. What are they thinking when they see a tongue of fire above each one of those believers that day? What's it reminding them of? Go ahead. The pillar of fire. Only this time, that pillar is in an individual form. The sentence that God had been speaking for over 2,000 years, I think it works out to be close to three, is he was saying, I want you to reach into the heavens. Wait until I do it my way. Because my way is a safe way and a productive way. So they get to Acts chapter 2. And now he gives each one of them a tower into the heavens, the very thing that the Nazis at Babel were trying to build. I'm, I'm just making that part up. But it'd make a great movie. And now they each have a tower that reaches into the heavens. And to prove the point that that's what the Holy Spirit was all about, God picks that moment to reverse the curse of Babel and to let them understand each other again. You following? It's the punctuation at the end of the sentence. And it, God, this happens all the time. Does not bother God at all to take multiple thousand years to say one sentence. So he starts here, humans, let's go to heaven. No, it's not going to happen. I will confuse the language. Then he gets them to write where he wants them, where they can go, and to prove that that's what it was about he reverses the curse to say, now what you were trying to do then, I'm giving you full permission to pursue. Now, I believe the blessing of the Holy Spirit was all about what John was experiencing in Revelation. That's why Paul would say, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be illuminated. That's why he would say, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Now, maybe some of you are like me and you grew up in Baptist church, and then you started becoming a charismatic Christian. You found out that there's a lot of Baptists in the charismatic Christian stuff, and they're like closet charismatics. And then they, they know that you know. And so they come out of the closet, and they're like, you want to go hear this prophet speak? And you're like, what's a prophet? You know? And all these people come out of the woodwork that are really charismatics, but they're hiding in the Baptist church. And so they can't be even be free about speaking in tongues. You know, so they, it's like everything has to be in code. And so if you kind of grew up like I did, you've heard a lot of ministers that were probably Baptists at one time and now they're charismatics. And they're like, well, what Paul's talking about praying in the spirit on all occasions is praying in tongues on all occasions. But then you kind of get through all this stuff and you're like, but Paul doesn't have to say tongues in code. He's not a closet charismatic in a Baptist church. He has a vernacular for tongues. He never has to not say it if he wants to say it. So when he says tongues, he just says tongues. When he said pray in the Spirit on all occasions, he was talking about do what John did in Revelation. 
Pray in the Spirit. Be in the Spirit on the Lord's day on all occasions. You following? That phrase, in the Spirit, gets used 43 times after Pentecost and twice before it. One of them is really out of context altogether. The only one that's similar is when Ezekiel is taken to the valley of dry bones in the Spirit. All this stuff to tell you tonight, I believe, without ever seeing this coming or knowing how it was going to work out, I believe that this is the greatest revolution of my entire life. I'm also convinced that... Uh, with the only exception being the resurrection of the dead, it's about as good as it could possibly get. To me, in fact, and I will say, I believe that this is for the resurrection of the dead. Come on. But in the meantime, it's really good. And the possibilities are endless. And a very peculiar kind of people will decide to pursue eternal things in a world that is clamoring for them to look down instead of up. I mean, just go walk around a, I mean, not a lot of people walking around malls these days, but before COVID, just go look around the mall and where is everybody at in their life? They're right here. And they're looking down into less dimensions. Can I drop a nerd moment? Because it's kind of my soapbox. You're meant to live life in at least four, never less. You have a cubic, three-dimensional spatial environment, but you also have a time dimension, and that's what makes that cubic space move, right? If there weren't time, you'd just be frozen in three dimensions. So time is like our progression in that three-dimensional space. There's four dimensions that you live in. It's not a coincidence that there are four Gospels, that there are four major states of matter, that there are four archangels around the throne, that there are four cardinal signs of the Maseroth. That carbon makes four bonds, and that makes organic life. It's an important thing. So there are four dimensions that we live in. Three of them are spatial, and they're very easy to understand, and then there's time, which is kind of hard. There are four Gospels, three of which are synoptic, and they're pretty easy to understand, and then there's John's, which is a little weird. That's not a coincidence. So you're never meant to live in less. But every time that you're here, you've moved one dimension lower. This is a length and a width. And because it changes, there's a time dimension. But it's flat. Plus time is just three. So you're in less dimensions when you go in here. It's not, also not a coincidence that right at the moment, when heaven interaction is becoming so important, is also the exact moment in time when we found our greatest distractions. That sounds slightly nefarious to you. You're on the right track. Distractions. You want to do some exercises together? Good, so do I. Now, can we stand up just to get the blood moving? Now, if you've done these things before, I just want to encourage you, if this is like so old hat to you, then just use this as a way to train yourself how to help other people, okay? Because we're going to make it as easy as it can possibly be. Whenever we're, we're telling people we're going to spend some time in the heavens, you've got to use the eyes of your heart. 
Best way to understand that is the word imagination. Don't worry, that word hasn't existed for a long time. So when Paul was writing Ephesians, there is no word imagination in any dictionary that existed at the time. So when he says the eyes of your heart, it's his best way to wrap his mind around a phrase that could describe what our word imagination came to be, which is your internal ability to see. All right, so ready? Close these eyes, open the eyes of your heart. I just want you to see the room that we're in right now exactly as it is. Exactly as it is. Once you've got this room worked out, you know where you are. Just see yourself exactly where you are in the room. And I just want you to say, Lord, where are you in this picture? And you're going to trust your first impression without writing anything off as being wrong. Because right now you have nothing to lose. So if you trust your first guess, and I'm, I'm, believe me, don't, don't wait till you're sure. 100% sure is a total mirage. You'll never get there. Go tonight because we have nothing to lose. Go when you're 50% sure. I mean, we're talking, it's practically a guess. Where do you guess the Lord is in the room right now? Now, let's just shout it out or raise your hand and I'll call on you. First impression. Standing next to me, right or left side? Your you're, you're left, my right. Yes, sir. Sitting right next to you. Someone else. Sitting inside. Sitting inside? What? Well, there's always a few. Okay. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Facing right in front. Sitting right in front. Anybody else? Anybody? Is he across the room or something? Yes. Right there. A lot of you are close. Yeah. I mean, you don't get a gold star. Anything is okay here. Right there. Yes. Right there. You're all like, he's right here. Yeah, I, Larry, right next to you. Yeah, trust the first impressions here. Now, how about color, clothing, expression? You're allowed to guess. Let me ask you a question. Anybody see whatever part of the Godhead you're looking at bald? Or is there hair? Hair. Bald is okay. I don't know why no one says it. <laughs> but I'm just messing with you. Yeah, so, so you see here, what about height? Is, is the Lord taller than you? The same size or shorter? Yeah, most people see taller because you're communicating this older brother kind of idea. We think of him as older than us. How about expression on the Lord's face? T- smile. Take a guess, guys. What do you see? Smiling? Joy? Yeah. Anybody else see something different? Loving? What was that, Larry? Twinkle in his eye. Is it? So He always seems like especially in these moments, a little mischievous. <laughs> like I'm always like, what are you going to do? He's the older brother. You know, he'll play a prank or two. All right, now, clothing. Anybody see the Lord without clothes? I'm messing with you. Listen, you're supposed to have fun. Don't take this so serious. You're not ready for the garden. See him clothed, okay? So what kind of clothes do you imagine on the Lord right now? Shorts on. It's fitting, I guess, for the day in the weather. Yeah, what else? White robe, gold sash. Jeans, blue shirt, why not? Tennis shoes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't want to stand out, he just want to blend in. Anybody else? First impressions? What was that, Larry? Green tunic? White robe, excellent. 
Blue. Okay, now, if you're not close, let's get closer. 90% of you already were. But if he's across the room or he's up here with me or something like that, just go, Lord, would you come close to me or should I come close to you? And you could just mumble it to yourself very quietly. Helps if you talk out loud. And you're like, I look crazy. And I'm like, well, you look crazy for being here to begin with. So just talk to yourself. Get close. Now, once you're close, just look at the Lord, mumble to him one question. Lord, tell me one thing that you like about me. First impression, what's the Lord say? Adventurous? Everything. It sounds like him. You said, Lord, tell me one thing that you like about me. What was your first guess? Back in the back? Your, your mind. Yeah. Oh, you're mine. He said, you're mine. I got it now. Yeah. What else? First guesses. Don't wait till you're sure. First guess. You're creative. Excellent. Kind. Someone else? Loving. Two more. You listen. One more. What was that? Fear of the Lord. Great. Now, let's do another question. Mumble to him. Lord, what's something that you know about me that I don't know about myself? Watch him while you do it. What's your first guess? What does the Lord say? I saw those eyebrows go up. <laughs> I saw, you were like, really? <laughs> Anytime someone's eyebrows go bloop, it's, they're going, really? <laughs> what's something he knows about you that you don't know about yourself? Go ahead, shout it out. Your life? Yeah. Keep going. First guesses. Don't write it off as being silly or unspiritual. Just trust that first impression. I, yeah. How loved you are. Don't be surprised if the first guess you had was, he said, you're better looking than you think you are. <laughs> it's the kind of thing he would say. You're... Your future? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Shout them out if they're giving comments. Huh? Past impressions. Yeah. Anything else? Some of you, it's personal. I know. Sometimes he says, sometimes he says things that he knows about you that you don't know about yourself, and you're like, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that out loud. I get it. Let's do this one. Let's put ourselves in solidarity with the persecuted church all over the world right now. And let's let Jesus be in our midst and be the rabbi and teach us. And he will preach his message through you. Just look at him and say, Lord, what is one thing you want us to know tonight? Trust your first impressions. Don't write it off. Let him preach his message through you, just like he's the rabbi. He's the teacher tonight. What's the rabbi saying? Leaders? One more time? The Uyghurs in China? Oh, great. Fantastic. I'm in. Keep going. What else? Yes. Be strong. Maybe he's saying that to them. I got this. Walk by faith and not sight. Keep going. I love you and I'm proud of you. Watch him while we're doing this. Wherever you're seeing him, watch him. Yeah. 
I love everyone on this earth. Keep going. What else is he saying? What's the rabbi saying through you? It's not over. Keep going. First impression. What, what say that, Larry? I'll find a way. How about a few more? Don't be shy. In the back? Yep, hand. Say that loud. You can overcome. His glory is greater than any sacrifice. One more time. I'm with you. How about a few more? What's one thing you want us to know tonight? The love of the Father. How about one or two more? <laughs> yeah, there's a mother, there's a Holy Spirit. Yeah. Keep going. What else? Couple more. Let him preach his message. He's the rabbi. More glory. Couple more. He has a message to give. This is how he does it in parts of the world where they can't even meet and they have to do it in silence. He shows up and he teaches them. You're just putting yourself in solidarity with the persecuted church by doing this right now. Let him be in the room with you as you see him. What's just a few more things that he wants us to know tonight? We're related and... You, he brought all the people of the world together and created a peacock, which is a symbol of eternal life and immortality, which I think is fun. Yeah. He likes pickleball. Do I know what that is? Do you know what that is? Okay, good. <laughs> good. Thank you. And you know what? This is a great example of you could have written that off as being silly or unspiritual and you said it. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What? Well, come on. One or two more. Let's 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 close it out. One or two more. Yeah. Our union is inseparable. And the last one, who's got the caboose on the train? You're so much more powerful than you can imagine. On that note, before we're done, still use the eyes of your heart. See him where you're seeing him right now and mumble to him one more question. Lord, will you show me what I'm like once I'm raised from the dead? Let him show you yourself as a new creature. Trust your first impressions. What you see in this moment doesn't define it forever. You're looking at a diamond with a thousand facets. Just look at one facet tonight and say, Lord, show me what I'm like when I'm raised from the dead. What do I even look like as a new creation? What's the same? What's different? Just mumble it to yourself like you're telling yourself a story. It, it's, it's going to look like an upgrade. No one's going to be a downgrade, okay? So it's, it's going to look better. Just be okay with that. Don't write that off as being too grand. When he rose from the dead, they didn't recognize him. A lot had changed. 
to let him show you yourself. And then when you feel like you've just got a glimpse of that, wherever you're still seeing the Lord in the room, look at the Lord and just be grateful. Just express gratitude for everything that he shows you. And then when you're done, just have a seat. And we'll come back to the land of the living where we still have to pay our taxes. And the carbohydrates do count. (laughs) Hey, uh, just to tell you in closing here, you know, I, I mentioned that it's been the greatest revolution of my life. Larry and I were talking earlier today. The blessing of being able to see the Lord, I feel like it's a, it's a, a piece of that verse in First John where it says, when we see him, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. And using the eyes of your heart to see him, you start to step into that verse a little bit. You see him, you become like him because you'll see him as he is. So many fun things you can do in your heavenly journeys. Get to know who you are as a resurrected human being. Get to see it before it even physically happens. Go find out the place that he's prepared for you. Just go ask him, Lord, would you show me the place that you've prepared for me so that you know the seat of your own government when you're a resurrected human being and you can start walking into that now. Chris, thank you so much. Praise God. Father, thank you. Thank you.